Hello, and welcome to another episode of Obscurity Knox. Yes, we're back with another episode of the Ridiculously Premised Podcast, where I ask actors about projects they've probably never been asked about before, in the hopes that they've got stories to tell that they've never told anyone before. Generally, it pays off. But with your luck, well, let's just see what happens. This episode of Obscurity Knox marks a milestone with the podcast in that it's the 13th episode, and 13's always been a lucky number for me. Also, what luck, it's also the first episode of the podcast since I started a Patreon campaign for the program. As I've indicated in the past, I love doing the show, I'd love to keep doing the show, and if people are actually paying me to keep doing the show, well, that certainly ups the chances that I actually will. As it stands, I'm not even asking that much from listeners. There's the Nice People tier, which is a dollar per episode, and then there's the Twice As Nice People, which is two dollars per episode. I guess I could have also gone with a Thrice As Nice People, but let's just see how things play out. To be a patron of the podcast, just go to patreon.com backslash It's just that simple. And now, on with the show. This week's guest has a voice that may be familiar to you from a plethora of animated series, playing everyone from Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob SquarePants to Lex Luthor on various programs in the DC Animated Universe. In the real world, relatively speaking, he's also popped up in numerous films and TV series including Highlander, The Shawshank Redemption, Starship Troopers, Carnival, and Billions. Naturally, we talked about virtually none of these things in any detail during the course of this podcast. We did talk about Highlander for a few minutes, and we also took some time to talk about his new series, Emergence, which joins the ABC lineup on September 24th at 10pm. Mostly, though, it was just a whole lot of obscurities, but it's the premise of the show. What are you going to do? Oh, did I not mention his name? It's Clancy Brown. And, oh look, here he comes now. Well, I appreciate you being willing to do this. Yeah, it's an interesting premise. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, for whatever reason, I've found that the anecdotes that end up being the most entertaining in those random roles interviews I do are the ones that are projects that no one's even heard of. I guess maybe just because they're stories they never had the opportunity to tell. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Okay, let's see what we got. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed doing that random roles interview with you that we did. I guess last year now. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. All right, well, actually, first of all, I want to start out by talking about your, your current project, which is uh, Emergence, which I know is pretty oh, yeah. in the very near future. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's a good little... Um it's a good little show. It's uh, it's hard to for me to um, to describe. I think I, I haven't gotten the memos from ABC, but it, it's like this family drama uh, that's uh, wrapped around. Uh, uh, actually, it's a it's a sort of a science fiction thriller mystery wrapped around a family drama with a strong female lead and adorable kids. I mean, I don't know, it's hard to describe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say that the, uh, uh, but the, it, the official synopsis for the pilot episode says it's uh, about a police chief who takes in a young child she finds near the site of a mysterious accident who has no memory of what has happened. The investigation draws her into a conspiracy larger than she ever imagined, and the child's identity is at the center of it all. Right, conspiracy is always what I forget to say. Chief. A plane crashed. 
crashed on a beach. I found a kid at the crash site. I'm being told wasn't even on the plane. I can help you. She doesn't have a scratch on her. She doesn't remember anything. She doesn't know her name. Doesn't know where she's from. Can I go home? Where's home? <laughs> so what are you going to do? Keep a kid you just found? What's the plan? I here? don't have a plan, Dad. I didn't know what else to do. Foster in this kid or something? I'm keeping her here temporarily. She's all alone. I mean, I couldn't just abandon her. There's a man and a woman in here, and I say they're the girl's parents. Thank you, Chief Evans. Is Olivia all right? Kids, you know, they wander off. Can I see your pictures of Olivia? We've answered your questions. I'd like to see my daughter. Don't touch the sides. Pull prints, run them immediately. Wait, what, what happened? They are not who they say they are. keep you safe. I am not going to let them take you. Why do they want to take me? I bet the answer is in here somewhere. She's gone! It's a, it's a, it's a full, it's a full show. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really quite something uh, as far as, as far as a TV show goes. I, I've never quite, I've never quite read anything like it. Well, I know that, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, just, uh, just based on the, the very little I've read about your character, I guess you're an ex-firefighter and you're the father of the, of uh, Joe Evans, which is Allison Tolman's character. Right, I'm I'm her pop and and grand grandfather of her kid and and uh, ex firefighter and uh, I'm not I'm, I'm, my health is not good because I was a firefighter okay. uh, and uh, it's uh, what else can I tell you I, <laughs> I sort of I, I sort of hold that I'm sorry. I like to characterize it as my Uncle Charlie role. Does that make sense? It does, absolutely. Yeah, from uh, three, my three yeah, sons. Yeah, okay. So a lot of people don't know that reference, but that's uh, <laughs> that's the reference that I like to that I like to say. So you're the I, William Demarest of the show. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think I'm William Demarest. I would like I would love to be William Demarest. <laughs> I think that's a nice way to. I think would nice he would be the uh, an admirable goal for any character actor. There you go, exactly. <laughs> Actually, speaking of character actors, I saw that uh, Terry O'Quinn has also uh, got a recurring role in the series. Yeah, yeah, that was exciting. Uh, he's uh, The last time I worked with him was on Earth 2, which might be a nice segue into the thing, and I didn't actually work with him, and I'm not actually seeing him at all on this one either. <laughs> but that was many years ago, and I don't know if he'll, I don't know if he'll remember that, because I didn't really interact with him that much, but... I could actually find out. He, I, I live here in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia, and he lives in Virginia Beach most of the year. Oh, right, right. 
Yeah, I think I think when he was doing Earth Two, he was an only. He's a he's not he's a West he's an East Coaster. He's a Maryland Virginia. Yeah. All right, and I guess the uh, the series is going to premiere on the twenty fourth of September. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, Ten o'clock Eastern, nine Central, ABC, <laughs> your ABC station. It is it is pretty breakneck. I have to say, it's a pretty breakneck pace of this of this show. You you kind of want to you you kind of want to stick with it because there's stuff happening every there's stuff happening every episode. It's not like Carnival where you could kind of you know be leisurely about watching it and pick it up at any point but um but this one you really there's there's plot points every a couple every episode so and it's full of action and it's it's really fun kids are great allison's great uh, i've actually been a fan of uh tara butters and michelle fazeka since they did a reaper for the cw many years ago oh yeah they've been they they they're they're an interesting pair of those two. They've got a they've got a terrific little body of work and and, and uncharacterizable necessarily. You can't pigeonhole them. <laughs> All right, well let's start with the uh, the obscurities. Uh, if you like, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody always thinks the memory is going to be terrible, and then all of a sudden they come up with anecdotes. So I'm hoping you will maintain okay, the status quo well, here. I'll, I'll try to. <laughs> well, I will say that I watched uh, the trailer for Thunder Alley last night. And it seems like it checks every box in the rock and roll playbook. <laughs> if the dream is music, then the place is Thunder Alley. Rock and roll! I hear you play guitar. You're the best damn guitar player in town. We should be up there. This isn't a country and western band. Eat rock and roll, you know it. You are going to sit in with us. Play a uh, 
the manager whose name, by, yeah. by complete coincidence, was Weasel. There you go. Right? <laughs> yeah, he the, was the, the, the manager. I got to be a tough guy. I didn't have to play any instruments, thank goodness. You know. So yeah, it was because actually I think it was my I think I, I think I had already done Buck Rule though, and I had to learn to play the piano. Okay. For that one, and I I was glad that I didn't have to learn to play the piano. <laughs> Yeah, but you look at the chronology. Yeah, you did. You did Buckaroo Banzai first. Right, and there was a, it was it was a lot of fun hanging around. I think we were shot in Tucson, and we got into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> uh, all twenty year old guys doing all sorts of terrible things. <laughs> uh, not terrible things, just fun things. We were we were acting up. I'm sure and, the characters yeah, were doing terrible things. Guys. Roger Wilson, Scott McGinnis, who else? Uh, uh, let's see, Garrett. Uh, uh, yeah, Leif Garrett. I, I don't want to say that I. Rot. I don't want to say that I can't. I could believe that he was doing terrible things. I just know, you know, there were times in his career where he was struggling a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he was doing okay at that point. I think there was a joke played on him by Roger and the guys at some point. Maybe Scott McGinnis did it, where they had cops show up and and make the motions of arresting him <laughs> and. And Leaf turned absolutely pale. He just turned, <laughs> he didn't, it was funny at all. I think at the end of it, but uh, he laughed like a good guy. It was it, it was it was a weird moment. It was, it was a good joke, but it was like so good it got weird. Yeah. So yeah. Do you remember anything at all about the music? Not really. <laughs> Not really. Uh, they had it. I, it was pretty good. I remember uh, Roger was uh, Roger played a lot of his own stuff and, and Leaf did a lot of his own stuff. I'm not sure the drummer, what was his name? Brian or something. Oh, uh, um, uh, I think his name was see. Brian. Like, it was like all-American. Yeah, Brian Cole. Except for Leaf. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think everybody played except... Now, Brian, I think, played. Maybe Phil didn't play and had to learn. But... Or Scott, I'm not sure. But Roger played, and Roger sang, and so did Leaf. And I, I think they had, you know, hidden ambitions of being recording stars. Right. Which of course Leaf already had been by that did, point. Did you listen to the music? It was really, it was really sort of that '80s kind of ballady rock and roll kind of not quite hair band, not quite heavy metal, AOR, kind of whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it was nice. It was it was sweet music. It wasn't wasn't knock your socks off stuff. Well, I know in the trailer, uh, it is literally five seconds into it when someone shouts rock and roll. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it was it was it was um, it was teeny bopper rock and roll, I guess. Yeah. You know? And uh, you get your great lines in the trailer. You've got the talent to go places, and I can help you get there. You play the music, I do the talking. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Is that what I said? Yeah. That's okay. definitely a couple of boxes checked off. Like four or five right in that line right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't hard to figure out that script. That was fun. <laughs> well, let's see. The next one is not as obscure by any means, uh, but a lot of people may not be aware of how many people are actually in it. That's Extreme Prejudice. Battalion Commander Major Paul Hackett, killed evacuation Saigon 1972, remains never recovered. 
Second platoon leader, Sergeant Larry McRose, missing in action, Vietnam, 1973. Demolition, Sergeant Buck Atwater, killed Laos, 1980. Sergeant Luther Fry, killed trading maneuvers, Louisiana, 1977. Communications, Sergeant Charles Biddle, missing in action, Honduras, 1981. Heavy weapons, Sergeant Declan Patrick Coker, killed Argentina, 1979. Six soldiers, officially heroes, officially dead. A private army on the wrong side of the law against one man who's out to stop them. McNulty. Extreme Prejudice. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was a cable uh, staple when I was growing up. Yeah, that was Walter Hill. That was my yeah. Walter Hill fantasy. I just, I, you know, I was a huge Walter Hill fan. And, um, and I just, I just, I just loved him. I didn't, I didn't really like, uh, Brewster's Millions and his sort of, oh, yeah, diversion into other stuff. I did like Crossroads. But he was coming out of doing that non-violent stuff, and I, you know, I was just a big fan of Southern Comfort and Warriors and and uh, and uh, Log Riders, and I mean, yeah, that was just the bomb for me. Forty-eight Hours was cool, and I, I was so excited to work with him to, you know, just do something. And to this day, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. Just a real, just a real good field general, that guy, and. Uh, that's how to put a movie together. This one, yeah, this was his homage to the Wild Bunch and Duel in the Sun, really, kind of, right? I mean, it was, it was kind of a combination of both of them. It didn't really finally work out much, but, it, but you know, Powers is terrific in it, and Nick is terrific in it, and, and, and you know, what a fun group of guys. Again, a group of guys we had, you know, Ironside and Ripper and... Forsyth and Mulhern and Larry and Dan, those dudes. Well, you know, I, I interviewed Ironside, and he said that there's like 45 minutes of the film and ended up getting cut out. But they completely removed Andy Robinson's storyline. Right, right. Andy <laughs> Robinson had a whole big thing going on in there because there was even another uh, homage happening. You know, there was I don't even know what it was. What, what the, I can't remember, but it was a it was a whole conspiracy thing that he was doing. And he was great, but they decided to get rid of that third subplot. Yeah, I stayed friends with most of those guys. It's It was a fun group. Yeah, I, I uh, actually realized how many people I interviewed in that cast. I talked to you, Ironside, William Forsyth, and Nick Nolte. I think that's everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was, uh, let's see, I'm trying to, I, I, at that point, I think Nick was still drinking. I think he was just, I think he was married and he was he just became a father and I think he might have still been drinking and I tried to drink with him once and I could not even get through one margarita one Nick Nolte margarita I could not make it <laughs> I don't know why I believe that barely made it back to my hotel room <laughs> I, I could drink oh my goodness I don't think he does anymore, but man, back in the day, he could put it away. Oh, yeah. I then we'd take over the hotel where we were in El Paso, and a bunch of guys would play play guitar. Maybe they had a band there, and Forsyth would get up, and he'd start singing country songs. And uh, it was it was a good time. It was 
El Paso where you could actually be in El Paso is a little bit dangerous because now it's the safest place on earth apparently. Uh, but you know, Juarez wasn't quite the place that it was that it ended up to be Sweet Edward. Juarez you could still cross over and go to Juarez and walk around. It was a little bit dangerous, but it was you know not that dangerous. Yeah. And so we we got in some adventures there. Nothing too bad. Um, what can I tell you? I don't know. Rip torn man, that was dude. Uh, actually, I was going to ask if, you, if everybody always seems to have some sort of rip torn story. Do you have any one in particular? Or? Uh, I I was just kind of in awe of him, and <laughs> just and a lot of guys were, and they and we would just sit around, and he would just talk shit all the time. He was a skirt chaser. He was always trying to chase skirts. That was always the question. Hey, Rip, you want to go to the movie? Hey, Rip, you want to go downtown? Hey, Rip, you want to go to you know this place or that? And he goes. And they're gonna be girls, you know. We're gonna go where there's girls, and he would use a more derogatory term, but uh, uh, a less politically correct term. Um, yeah, we had a we had a one track mile. He would. I tried to get him to talk about the old days at one point, and he just he just didn't want to talk about those days. He just didn't want to talk about being in uh, what was that movie he did for. for uh, uh, Went a long time ago. Uh, oh shit! What was it called? It was about. It was in. It was a war movie that Stanley Kubrick did. It was a weird priest, you know. Before Stanley Kubrick was Stanley Kubrick, it was just a really short, bizarre movie about madness and war, and Rick was in it. Uh, oh, you, know, uh, you, could, you could tell it was, it was like seventeen or something. It was really young. Yeah, uh, I had so many questions. Too afraid to ask, and, and plus everybody started thinking and having a good time. So you know, we never got around to it. Powers became a pal. I went out with him for some. He and his wife and me and my soon-to-be wife would go out and tour around. Powers is from Texas, so he, he was a good host, and uh, and I really I really enjoyed that because that was a little bit of normalcy among the <laughs> insanity. I've run into Maria Conchita since then. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she was very sweet and said she remembered me, but I don't think she did, really. <laughs> uh, but, okay. you know, there's nothing like nothing like doing a... Uh, nothing like doing a, a, a Walter Hill movie before, you know, before all the digital effects came in. Oh, the God. guy just knew how to stage it, knew how to, knew how to direct it, knew how to edit it. Uh, at one point, we were shooting something on the stage, and um, what's her name? Lou Steele, director. Uh, oh, wow. Catherine, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. She came in, and she was about to direct her movie, the vampire movie she did, and Walter started showing her how you cut certain things, and now you could tell he was thoroughly enjoying hanging out with her because she was gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, I kind of wandered over there, too, to what that was about uh, but it was interesting he, he showed up on set he was he was very generous Walter and with his expertise and so, was, the, you know, Near Dark I guess was the, was the vampire movie that she was getting ready to do yeah, yeah. I think he was about to direct that yeah. uh, and and he was showing how you cut you know, particular violent things and it was it was a star studded thing <laughs> oh, I'll <laughs> tell you my, my favorite Rip Torn story that I've ever got from anybody I'm sure you'll appreciate uh, uh, Conchetta Farrell uh, was in Heartland with him and she said uh, 
it was my first or second day. We were rehearsing, and when we were leaving rehearsal, Rip had a car, and he said, do you want me to show you the town? I said, sure. So, you know, he's driving around, he's showing me this and showing me that, and I said, my God, how long have you been here? And he said, oh, I just got here two days ago. And I went, well, how in the world are you so familiar with everything? And he said, I make it a point to know every way I've town of any town I'm in. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the definitive Rip Torn story there, I think. <laughs> yeah, he was a funny guy. He was a funny dude. All right, let's see. Uh, next up would be uh, the room upstairs. Oh, boy. <laughs> By the way, I, I just I, would say, I reasonably expect everyone just to say "oh boy" whenever I bring up anything on this list. So, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't even know when I when I did that. I, uh, Eighty-seven, ostensibly. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it was before that. I think it was before uh, Extreme Prejudice. Okay. Yeah, and that was. Um, Stuart Margolin directed. That was such an amazing cast. I was so out of my league there. Okay, that's that's so really the biggest reason I wanted to ask about it because I mean, just I mean, obviously you got a young uh, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, but then you got what? Uh, uh, yeah, we got Joe Stockard Allen. Yeah, yeah, Stockard, Sam. I think it was after Sam had done uh, Killing Fields. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I was pretty in awe of Sam, actually. Um, and Linda Hunt was, I think, that was right around when she was... Uh, yeah. Well, I, well after yeah. Year of Living Dangerous, like, people knew who she was, certainly. Yeah, I think it was after Year of Living Dangerous. Yeah, yeah she, was, she was pretty vital. I ended up working with her a couple of times after that, although peripherally. Joan, I was also in awe of because I was, I was coming from Chicago, and... She was a member of Steppenwolf, and they were amazing to watch. So it was, it was a, it was a treat. I just talked to her about how incredible Steppenwolf was at that time, and it was, a, it was, you know, it was mature, but it was still young. It was still the first, the uh, first version of Steppenwolf. So you know, all those people were still involved, yeah, uh, pretty, pretty directly. God, Jerry O'Connell, I didn't realize he was in there. <laughs> yeah, he really was just a kid then, I guess. Yeah, I guess so, man. Um, <laughs> Tandy and those guys. I, yeah, I I was just out of my league. I mean, <laughs> I was just out of my league. I don't even know how to explain it. I didn't really know what was going on with that script. I didn't really <laughs> know why. I, You know, I look at it now and I see nothing but a somebody who doesn't know what they're doing around a bunch of folks that do know what they're doing. You know, I had a, there's a couple good moments in it, I think. Um, but, you know, the guy I play is a dick, and and I, I, I couldn't really get to be, I couldn't really get to a point where I'm a dick, I, I think, dicky enough. <laughs> if I had to, like, hit up Stockard and, you know, do all this stuff. And I, I, you know, I've never hit on anybody. I don't hit on people. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I was just out of it. I was just out of, out of my depth there. I felt like a moron. And it shows, I think. Happy Halloween. Oh. <laughs> Kevin. You really gave me a heart attack. Sorry. Oh, careful.
Don't you think you've had enough? You sound just like Ellie. Good. Somebody should say it. Ellie's in Ireland. Yeah, I noticed. Which is why I'm sitting here waiting for company. Matter of fact, would you join me in a glass of this? I think we got off on the wrong foot, you and me. You and I. You should take some time off. Play landlady once in a while. Meaning? Sink's still full of crud. Mother keeps saying he's gonna come and fix it. Only yesterday. Well, I'm a very handy man. Very handy indeed. I fix this sink. Will you have a drink with me? I don't drink with tenants. men much, do you? Tell me the truth. I will. You're a pig. <laughs> I never noticed what a beautiful neck you had. Kevin. What would Ellie say? I'm not going to say anything, are you? Come on, I thought you liked looking at me. Kevin, stop it. Everyone okay? Fine. No problem. No problem. Hey, you want a drink, Travis? No, thanks. Amazing cast, but they have a lot of good people. It was a weird thing, though. You know, Sam playing a cellist and Stockard playing a white lady and everybody getting along <laughs> in the way they need to get along, you know. Sarah was so cute. She was just a child star who'd just grown up at that point. Yeah. So smart, so cute. So I guess the big question is, did you ever find your inner dick? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's another one on here where I had to sort of play that kind of testosterone-y guy, you know, and I just, I just, I could never do it. I just never quite understood how how that manifests uh, well. I think, you know, it's just not my, just not my cup of tea, I guess. Johnny Ryan, I had to be that kind of all-American, you know, Stanley Kowalski kind of, you know, men want to be him, women want to be with him type of guy. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable being Uncle Charlie, I think, you know, but, I, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Let's see. So I guess next then is Shoot to Kill. From Touchstone Pictures, a ruthless killer. Jump! A beautiful hostage. You have to get me out of these mountains. Two men tracking them. Sarah! One for love, one for revenge. This man is mine, you understand? Sidney Poitier, Tom Berenger. Two men doing whatever it takes. You shoot her, you're dead half a second later. To get their man. Get down! Shoot to kill, rated R. Shoot to kill, right. So, um, so, shoot to kill was right after Tom had been nominated for an Oscar. Kirstie was just about to, I think she got the job on Cheers while we were shooting that. Uh, Sydney 
had done a movie before, but he, it was his out of retirement. I think one of his accountants or somebody, some investment guy that uh, he was involved with got in trouble and, and all of the guy's clients had to pay back taxes or something. I don't think Sydney was uh, in trouble with the law. I think they just had to, he just suddenly had to make a lot of money. Yeah. And so he he booked a bunch of movies. Yeah, because he really had, uh, he had been directing, but he hadn't acted in front of the camera, at least for a theatrical film, in like 10 years at that point. Right, yeah. right. So he was, yeah, he was, um, he was, what can I tell you? He, Roger Spottis would directed, uh, it was, I had to audition a lot to get that movie. Uh, not much to that role, which was kind of my specialty. I think I was playing bad guys that have a lot of explanation to them, like Kurgan and stuff like that. Yeah. And so that's that's sort of uh, where I landed at the time. Yeah. Um, and then it had, the, it had a good group. It had, you know, it had the camping group, the... Fred Coffin, Kevin Scannell, and Andy Robinson, Master, and they wanted to get together a bunch of guys who could uh, reasonably be thought to be bad guys. Yeah. Uh, the bad because they wanted to keep the, who the bad guy was a mystery. And Andy I had worked with before, so although you didn't see it, <laughs> and he became good pals at that point. Uh, I can remember um, sitting and watching Sydney, being very excited to be in a movie with Sydney Poitier because my mom was such a big fan of his. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was watching him do a scene, and I thought, oh, God, I think he's lost it. He doesn't, he, he's no good anymore. He doesn't know <laughs> what he's doing. I don't see it. It's the poor dude. I mean, he really should have stayed behind the camera. And then I went in. <laughs> I went to the dailies because in those days you could go and you could see the the work done before. Yeah. And you just could not take your eyes off him. The guy had such command of the camera. Another time when I realized, oh my goodness, I really don't know anything about what I'm doing. Because and he was just he was mesmerizing uh in the little in the little bit that I had watched him film. I can't remember what scene it was. It was him interrogating somebody. And uh he was just he was he was just terrific. Uh that was also the time when they were trying to get him into a cheap suit because they you know, he played an FBI oh, agent yeah. and he kept saying yeah, you know, the costume department was having such a hard time figuring out how to make him look frumpy and awful and he just like looked at him and he goes look i don't know what it is but it doesn't matter what kind of suit you hang on me i always look good in the suit <laughs> it, it doesn't there's just no way you can you can't pull a suit off the rack or have one made that makes that that looks bad he says it's just it's just i don't know he says it's just my proportions it's just never been possible to put me in clothes that look bad which is absolutely true if you look at him you look at any of his movies he's never he's never looked like less than a million dollars in any of the clothes that he wears yeah <laughs> real movie star he was like my second real movie star after um sean connery i think oh yeah yeah which i'll just use as a quick sidebar since i know people would like to hear anything at all about the highlander what was your experience of working with sean connery on that Target! 
The Highlander. Where is he? You're too late. I've prepared him for you. You waste your time. My favorite story about Sean, and I, I like Sean very much, but my favorite story about Sean was I, I was very excited to meet him, and we were doing some kind of re, you know sword rehearsal or one anything and something like that. And um, he comes in, and I'm completely starstruck, and shake his hand. He's got these big Scottish hands, and there's a big voice, and he comes over, and he says, Clancy, this is Sean. Sean, this is Clancy. And I said, How do you do? And he looks at me and he says, do you golf? <laughs> There's three words. And I said, no. And he didn't talk to me for the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> until, until I had him up on the, the staircase there and was about to chop his head off. <laughs> that, that's a good time to make friends with somebody, I guess. Yeah, I said, how much do you weigh, Chuck? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a good 210, 220, and uh, we're kind of precarious up here. And he told me some stone or other. He just laughed. Who is the woman? Um, she's mine. Ah, not for much longer. Tonight you sleep in hell. There can be only one! Next one we got here is Season of Fear. Oh boy! <laughs> See, <laughs> Season of Fear. Season of Fear was. Uh, I don't know what happened to Doug Campbell, the director writer of it. 
the dude the dudes that produced it there were these kind of there these guys that I played softball with and they like would cold call to raise money for for the film and stuff and so I think this was their first effort to actually you know raise the money by you know cold calling investor lists and stuff like that and Doug uh, Doug had a good script good thriller script and they said you know can we can we say you were in it? And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then uh, time came to, they said, well, what part do you want? I think they expected me to want Mike Bowen's part. And I said, no, nah, I'll just play the brother. I'll just play the copper brother, which was Ward Claire, I guess his name was, something like that. Yeah. Ward. Uh, <laughs> I remember just Ward. <laughs> and uh, so we went off to Stockton to shoot it and they got Michael Bowen. I remember Doug pulling me aside. He goes, why didn't you want to play Mick? And I said, dude, I don't know if this is going to be any good. And, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's not who I am. I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not like a, I'm not like a sexy dude. I'm just like a dude dude. So, you know, <laughs> go get a sexy dude. So they went and got Mike Bowen. Uh, Ray Wise. Oh yeah. I think was in that, right? He was, absolutely. Yeah, and Ray and I are both from Ohio, and we actually, uh, my, I think he married into a family that was a political family that my family knew. Oh. We had some we had some nice chats about that, uh, being from Ohio, being sort of mildly uh, famous. But the funnest thing was Mike Pollard. I mean, you know, I was going to ask, yeah. <laughs> Right, that's the guy. That's the guy. You go, oh, holy shit, man! Here, uh, uh, what was the one he did with uh, Richard? Uh, okay, the motorcycle uh, one. Yes, Bonnie and Clyde, of course. But you know, just a, just one of those really specific character actors from the sixties and seventies. Man, it was just uh, was the one, uh, Holly, um, little little Fawcett, big Holly. Oh yeah, okay. And he just talked about how much they partied and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, Pollard, good guy. Uh, Claire Wren, who was the actress. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, he was the femme fatale in the whole thing. She ended up marrying or going out with uh, one of my favorite actors at that time, uh, Bill Russ. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing her at the. And when we screened it, and then the next time I saw her, she was on Bill Russ's arm, and I'm like, oh man, because I, I just thought William Russ was the bomb. I thought he was the best actor, and uh, and then he shows up with Claire Red, who's one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen, and I thought, oh, that's it, man. This guy, this guy is Hollywood. This guy, William Russ, is what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I looked up uh, Doug Campbell, and he's done like and absurd number of movies like 27 films for tv in the last nine years it says <laughs> yeah he's a good director he's a good director he's a good writer i mean he's not a dummy he knows what he's doing yeah definitely keeping busy <laughs> yeah i'm surprised that i haven't run into him since maybe we... that was uh johnny ryan now that was a pilot or intended as a backdoor pilot yeah or? yeah yeah it was um i think it was right after um it's right after Blue Steel, and somebody, somebody at some network, some 
lady executive had a had a crush on me or something. <laughs> she decided that I would be the perfect, you know, the perfect dude to do it. And again, it was sort of projected onto me. <laughs> um, and I finally, I don't think I was up to it. What are you doing here, Ryan? I caught the case, Doherty. Too far to the detail, gonna keep this champ alive? Well, Ryan, it's gonna be a circus here, is it? His gun was trying to escape. Who was in the room with him? Howard and I were in the suite, the other two were down the hall. We checked it out earlier. Galvin was asleep in his room. What, he's, uh, 15 floors up? Tied a few sheets together, climbed down, figured to drop the rest of the way? Bad judgment. Signorelli, come here. These two officers are gonna go back up to that suite and they're gonna stay there. Nobody in, nobody out. Till I get done down here. Got that? Right. Well, Louie, you must have known you didn't have a snowball's chance in hell. Bruce Abbott was probably better suited to it than I was to be a TV star along those lines. But, you know, I made some good friends. I mean, I uh, met Nestor Serrano and uh, and got to talk for a while with uh, Prosky, who I knew from seeing him in Washington, D.C. He was at the arena. He was a fixture at the arena. Oh, yeah. And I, so I talked to him a lot about being a professional actor in Washington, D.C., but, you know. Uh, and then Jason Begay, I remember Jason, we were, you know, really like Jason, we, we became kind of pals. This was before he went into Scientology, and then I saw him again after he went, after he came out of Scientology. Also, we got this in Chicago, John Ryan in Chicago, and then the next time I see uh, uh, Jason professionally is, um, is again in Chicago, and he's a star of uh, Chicago PD, yeah. great guy. Uh, Jason, really like him still. Julia Campbell was like the most beautiful girl on television at the time. Probably still is. But you know, it was, it was fun. It was it was a fun little trip. Biggest fun thing in there was, um, I think, Bobby Miranda. Do you remember Bobby Miranda? I remember the name, yeah. Um, Bobby Miranda. And, it, and I had just seen him in, um, uh, what was that, De Niro movie? Uh, where he played the bounty hunter and uh, oh, uh, Midnight Run. Night Run. I just seen him in Midnight Run, and he was one of the mob guys that was after them. And he was so funny that the, <laughs> that pair was so funny. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Now that you put him in that frame of reference, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then it had a whole bunch of uh, Chicago actors that I was familiar with from my time in Chicago, and uh, you know, I got to got to tell him how. Great, I thought they all were. I've seen at least so, a little bit of it. It looks like it was a fun period piece from that standpoint. Yeah, it was a good idea. It was a really good idea. I think it was a little bit too expensive for the for the time. It was sort of a. It was sort of a. I think the idea. The idea was to make it kind of what Boardwalk Empire was. Yeah. You know, but for network TV, and it didn't really work out. I do remember the the promo of it. Uh, because it was around the same time that uh, Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy was coming out. <laughs> he said something like, 
the NBC has their own big dick or something like that. You know, come see the biggest dick on on, on NBC or something. It was obviously a joke about being Dick Tracy. Something like the come see the biggest dicks on NBC. So, uh, but again, ill suited, ill cast, I think, in that. But uh, but it was fun to do. It was fun to do. Uh, let's see, then we've got uh, Past Midnight with uh, Rutger Hauer and Natasha Richardson. Oh, man, I wish they were both still alive. Yeah. It was only a matter of time before Ben Jordan was paroled. On the night of August 4th, 1975, Ben Jordan took a kitchen coffee knife and stabbed his better half 30 times. Cops found a Super 8 movie camera at the scene. Jordan filmed the murder. What can I do for you? I'm here to see my social worker. Ben Jordan. It took just a moment to become intrigued. 146 IQ. Ted Bundy had 150. All they ever had on Ben was circumstantial evidence. Would it make you feel better if I told you I didn't kill her? Did you? It took days to question the evidence. Think he killed Kathy Tudor? At the time, I knew he didn't do it. You're saying Ben was framed? You didn't do it, did you? It took weeks to trust him. Are you wondering if this is a mistake? This guy is dangerous. They should have executed him. Now, time is running out. And she's got to choose between what she fears and what she feels. You believed in me. Why did you stop? Rutger Hauer. Natasha Richardson. Past Midnight. Sinatel film? What's it called? Sinatel films, maybe? Sinatel, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a little thriller. Um, uh, you know, I remember being, I, I remember meeting the director, uh, Jan Eliasper, and, and didn't have to read for anything. I think it was the first time I didn't have to read for anything. And she said, okay, we're going to cast that. We'll, <laughs> we'll cast you as that. And uh, they got Rutger, who I, uh, had some of the best drinking nights in the bar with Rutger shot it up in Seattle and it was a he was just a, he was just a great guy he was really full of great advice and great observations and you know one of the guys you know he, did, he didn't really get really rowdy when he drank he actually got philosophical and he was just so much fun to listen to and wow. I just I just liked I just liked him a bunch uh, Natasha I think that was before Natasha met Liam which was right so she, she and she was married at the time to somebody else, I think. But uh, she was adorable. I think she had just done uh, the Patty Hearst thing. 
Oh, yeah. Which was, she was terrific. Yeah, she was. Oh, Guy Boyd, I remember that guy. Oh, yeah. He, he was supposedly going to do the role that I did in Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, Because huh. he was a pal of Peter Weller's. But something messed up, like schedule or money or something, and so I ended up doing the part. But Guy Boyd was... Guy Boyd was uh, in it, which I was thrilled because he's a terrific actor too. I thought the there's a couple of stories of that. Giamatti, I think that's his film debut. Uh, it is actually. Yeah, I was going to ask. I thought it was. He was working in Seattle at Seattle Rep. When I was working with him on Billions, we sort of like went back there, and I said, "Do you remember, dude? Like, oh, I have this weird memory of you and me." sitting outside next to cars like there's some kind of a shot with some cars and we're either supposed to be in the in the in different cars or something but we were just out there waiting for them to finish the shot or finish doing something and we're just sitting around talking smoking cigarettes and he he said yet he was saying you know do i go to la or do i go to new york I think I remember telling him to go to L.A. <laughs> but he went back to New York. So I said, there you go. It's a good thing you didn't follow my advice. Uh, or I might have said, look, why don't you just stay in Seattle because there's an awful lot of stuff we're working in Seattle in the Northwest right now. And, um, you know, you can do theater and then make money doing these uh, doing these shows that come into town. Yeah. And he had way more ambition than that. And I think, you know, He's from back here. He's from the East Coast, so I think he was heading back after that. He said the job. I think he said the job he did after that was uh, was Donnie Brasco. Oh, <laughs> Is that right? I think that's. Could that be his um, next one? I will double check that to be sure. Cause that seems feasible, but I'm just not sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Paul's one of those guys in in my career anyway that like. I run into every six or seven years. <laughs> I, seem to, I seem to be associated with him every six or seven years, and we sort of renew acquaintance and catch up and have a few laughs. That's funny. Actually, he, he did singles, which I know that was filmed in Seattle. Uh, that was okay. oh, dated 92, so I don't know if he, that was really 92 or not. He might have been. Yeah, been. But then it looks like he might have gone to maybe New York after that because it's Mighty Aphrodite. And Sabrina. Oh, okay. Those are both 95, so it looks like he moved after that, I guess. Yeah, because then Donnie Brasco is 97, and Private Parts is 97. All right. That should have been a better movie. I just I don't know what ever happened to it. <laughs> Got a good guess. The two leads are dead, damn it. Yeah. Let's see. Well, next one, you're only in it for a blip, so there may not even be an anecdote, but you're in Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation. A new generation is coming. Let's go get them. Look cool. They're not speeding. They're nerds. But if they plan to survive college... Touchdown! They'll need guts. It's time for us to flex our muscles. They'll need strength. There isn't a muscle in this room. They'll need help from the biggest nerd of all. <laughs> you are such a nerd. Damn right I am. The new nerds on the block team up with the masters. Are you married? Better. I'm a gynecologist. 
when they go head-to-head -head with their most heinous enemy ever. We got those stinking nerds right when we want them. Hit the B-square! Robert Carradine, Curtis Armstrong, Morton Downey Jr., and Ted McGinley star in Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation. And this time, guess who's getting the last laugh? Yeah, that was um, that was directed by my friend Roland Mesa. I went to college with the guy. Oh, okay. And uh, and he had hired my roommate Joe Labris as his assistant. I think Roland was a marketing executive at Fox or something. He was he was putting together trailers, quite a good trailer cutter. And he wanted to be a director, and he was like saying, you know, I'm. I'm gonna leave this and not cut your trailers. I want to be a director, so they threw him this Revenge of the Nerds three bone. So he called us, called in all his pals because he's a good guy, and he hired us all to do little bits. Uh, I didn't really want to do it, to be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I did want to help my friend Roland, and I did, you know, want to be on screen with my buddy Joe, who I'm on screen with there. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, eating pork rinds by the gas station with Morton Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like so weird. It was such a weird, just a weird instance, just a weird circumstance in my life. But you know, <laughs> we got through it. Uh, still get, still get like penny residuals from it. Uh, Roland then went on to start his own, start his own trailer uh, company and. Became very rich doing that. I was just going to ask about uh, Morton Downey Jr. If you actually had any real interaction with him besides just that moment. <laughs> just that moment, just that scene. I mean, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. I mean, he didn't seem like a, like he was on TV at the time. Yeah, didn't seem like a big jerk or asshole or anything. He was pretty <laughs> friendly. Wasn't like some right wing crazy guy. I think that was just the act that he did. That's but, the impression I get. Yeah. Right, I mean, yeah, he became a celebrity from it, so, you know, it's hard to take seriously any of that, but that's the way it goes. I was just looking up Roland, uh, he directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt, and then uh, he was doing right, some... Right, around the same time. Uh, a couple of years later, huh? 94, so... Yeah, and then he became rich doing trailers again, <laughs> independently. Well, when you, when you find your niche. Yeah. So the next up is uh, Earth 2. That still has a cult following, even now, I think. We're yeah, man, that's, I like to call Earth 2 uh, Lost. <laughs> you know, it's the it's the prequel to Lost. I mean, it's the, it's the same premise and everything, and then uh, it's just that, uh, what's his name, pulled it off better. Um, said that in uh, Santa Fe, good group, still pals with some of them. Um, uh, it was right after, right after Shawshank. Uh, that story's gonna tell you, I, I really wanted to, I really wanted it to go on because I thought it was such a great, uh, thought it was such a great premise, kind of, and then a wet, like a wagon train in a pristine world. It was very, you know, it was very sort of new, new world, uh, 17th, 18th century kind of story told in sci-fi land. Yeah. The, the 
the cast was terrific. Sullivan has passed on, uh, unfortunately, and so has uh, Madison Wright, my daughter. That's very sad. Deborah's still around. Uh, Jessica's still around. Rebecca's still around. I see John Gagenhuber all the time. He's a, probably the best actor that was on it. Rockman's done pretty well for himself since then. Uh, Jeff Deist, who was, uh, he and his, his wife were creatures in it. They've, <laughs> they've made a pretty good living doing special effects stuff since then. I just gotten married, so, you know, I wasn't misbehaving. <laughs> and and I, just, I just really enjoyed the whole group and the whole show. I'm trying to think of, like, really good stories. John married one of the makeup artists. We all we all stayed in touch there for a long time afterwards. Probably the, we all stuck together pretty pretty well after that one. But since then we've drifted apart. I I still think it's a good show. I mean I I could I could go back and do it again and play. Um, I could be uh, uh, Tim Curry's role or something. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say anything that's got Tim Curry on it, uh, I'm I'm on board immediately, even if it's just as a yeah, yeah. character. <laughs> Yeah, and Tim and Tim and I became kind of pals. I mean, we had professional pals. We'd see each other and give each other a big hug. I, I like Tim an awful lot. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a fun time. You can't go wrong when you're shooting outdoors and in gorgeous scenery and you know you're just running around your twenties and thirties and forties and whatever and having adventures and <laughs> get paid for it. It was it was a good it was a good little good little trip. And we've got uh, Radiant City. Yeah, that one, what's that, Kirsty? Is that a Kirsty show? Yeah, that's the one with Kirsty. shot that in Toronto, I think. Yeah, that's when production really started to go to Canada. ABC Sunday Night Movie. Emmy winner Kirstie Alley returns to television in one of her most unforgettable roles. Sometimes this place gets to me. It's a long, hot summer, and she just can't cool off. She's fighting to know who she really is. Your mom, you love us. It's just not enough anymore. She's searching for a better life for her family, but is headed for trouble. Oh, sweetheart. I love you so much. Kirstie Alley has big plans for Radiant City. Yeah, that was a terrific script. Louis Colick, I think the guy's name was, that wrote it. It was a really, really good script, really heartrending and everything. And I knew Kirsty already, uh, although she had been through her uh, her superstardom, or she was like a, a, maybe at the height of her superstardom, I guess. I think she had wrapped up on Cheers, and, or had already done uh, Look Who's Talking, and you know, done all that stuff. Gil was in it from Shawshank. Oh yeah, that was fun. I got got to renew acquaintance with him. It was right after Earth Two got canceled, so I was I was happy to actually get work again. <laughs> I like that that character. I liked a lot because he, even though he was kind of that sort of again sort of a big hunky force of nature, he was not. He was just kind of dumb. He wasn't. <laughs> he was actually mean and awful. He was just kind of a. He was just kind of a putz, <laughs> which I play much better. Than the <laughs> I play putzes. Better than that, I play like yeah. <laughs> that was sexy on the period dudes. piece too. Yeah, and Gil and Gil got to play the sexy guy. Oh, he well, got there to you go. Play yeah. the rock, <laughs> right up his alley. Uh, 
I met Lorraine Newman on that show, and we sort of stayed in touch then. She's a, she's a good egg. I see her a lot doing voiceover and everything. I was going to say, I think that's most uh, of what she does these days, but and does it well. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I, did, the, did, the, did the kids go on to... Is that one where the kids went on to some stardom? Yeah, Adam Lambert. Who the kids? Uh, Adam Lambert went on to uh, do a bunch of stuff. It was a Disney show. Uh, Lizzie McGuire. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, he did uh, 65 episodes of that, actually. Wow, okay, so that was, that's cool. Um, yeah, he was, a, he was a cutie, nice kid. Yeah, there was, a, I don't know what to tell you, I mean, we were up in, uh, we were up in the projects in Toronto doing that, and uh, everybody in Toronto was sort of like, oh my goodness, you know, be careful, be careful. <laughs> and it just, it was the nice, it was one of the nicest projects I've ever been in. It was so clean and, and uh, everybody was very friendly and everything, but um, like everything in Canada, it's just much nicer than it is here. <laughs> you know? Somehow, I, even when you said they told you to be careful, I just imagine even the, the tough areas being really polite. Right, you might step in some dog poop or something, you know. <laughs> hey, look out. They, sometimes they, 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 they miss the garbage can up there and don't oh, pick yeah. up after their dog. It's not a good part of town. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that, then, was, that was a fun tip. Then one actually was I watched yesterday because it was on HBO Go. Uh, Vendetta. They came to find the American dream, to live free and to prosper. But the land of opportunity was a land of prejudice. We have it on good authority that Mr. Machika is the head of a, an Italian criminal organization, the Mafia. And when the chief of police is murdered, a corrupt city demands a scapegoat. Hold up your heads! You're innocent! When the courts fail, the people must act! And the American dream becomes a nightmare. Davison, Joaquin Delmedia, and Christopher Walken, Vendetta. We will have justice. I'll give you my word. Oh boy, Vendetta. Also Toronto. <laughs> that was the weirdest one, because that was Toronto for New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And it's a true story. It was a true story that I had never heard before. It was this horrible lynching guy that, ah, jeez. Who's the director on that one? Nicholas Meyer. Oh, yeah, Nick Meyer, man. He, that guy's amazing. He's, he's a freaking genius. Uh, the whole, that whole show was really, was really interesting from that kind of, kind of ensemble building and, HBO trying to figure out a, you know what they were going to do in films. Um, I don't think the project itself ended up being very good. They were just, uh, I think they were leaning on Nick to solve it, and Nick didn't quite solve it well enough. Uh, but they had like a lot of Italian immigrant guys in it, and and they tried to tell the story. The book itself is very compelling. What can I tell you about that one? 
trying to remember. I don't um, people I would have asked you, but I don't think that you actually had scenes with him. Like Edward Herman, I know was in it, but I don't think you're in any scenes with him. Yeah, I don't think I was in with Edward. I was with I was with I was with uh, Walken a couple of times. Actually, I was, uh, I was supposedly in a couple of scenes with him. I think I was actually only in one because <laughs> he couldn't get up there, and then they had a they had a double in for for him. Oh yeah, on ones. I tried to give him a hard time about that, and he wasn't—he wasn't, he wasn't, wasn't <laughs> taking it from me. They uh, uh, also had that guy in uh, what's his name? Oh shit, he's in everything. Ken. Oh, Kenneth Welsh. Yeah, Kenneth Welsh. Oh my god, that guy. I—he <laughs> I, shows up in so many things. He's—he's he's like just—he's ubiquitous. I. Uh, Every time I see him in something, I know, first of all, I know he's going to be great. And then I just so look forward to seeing what he's going to play, because you never know what he's going to play. Yeah. Uh, I think that was like the second or third time I'd been in the show with him, and I really liked him. Very charming guy, just at ease in any kind of situation. I really admired him. Uh, such a terrific guy. I think he's still at it, too. I think he's still uh, yeah, he is, knocking absolutely. things out of the park. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was, there's actually several people who fall into that same kind of category in that movie, even excluding yourself, who arguably could be in that category, but uh, Bruce Davison's in it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I met, yeah, I did meet Bruce. And uh, Richard Libertini. Oh, yeah. My God. Oh, it was an actor who I, I actually had to look up his name, even though I've seen him in dozens and dozens of things, uh, Joaquin Almeida. He was the star, I think, pretty much. Effectively, kind of. yeah. Yeah, yeah they had... They, they, it was... It was good. I just think it. I just think they couldn't quite solve it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why it was such a. It's. It was really quite a good book. Oh, Lucas Q. That was somebody else who was in it who I was impressed by. There you go. Yeah. Now, there's a character actor for you. Uh, let's see. Okay. We were in the home stretch here. Uh, we've got Snow White, the fairest of them all. Ah, uh, that's a sweet one. Um, <laughs> I just recently um, worked with uh, Miranda again. That's got a bunch of cast members that were that went on to stuff. Uh, who did I know? I knew I knew um, who did I know in that before I knew Vince before that, I think. That's before we did Carnival, so I didn't know Michael, but that became when we did Carnival I, I ended up talking to Michael a lot about that the silly uh, Snow White that we did. <laughs> uh, uh, who's the who's the girl that played the Snow White character? She went on to some Oh well, yeah. Notoriety. She was in uh, Smallville, Kristen Crowe. Kristen, yes, yes. She was, she was, I think she was just out of high school and was trying to decide whether she wanted to do this acting thing or go to college. And again, I gave her the opposite advice. I said, go to college. <laughs> and she did the and didn't follow my advice. Uh, but boy, she was, she was kind of like weirdly good looking. She was like, she's kind of the perfect Snow White that... Uh, I don't think you've ever seen anybody that was more Snow White than Kirsten at that age. <laughs> Vera Farmiga. Dense. Yeah, Vera, right? Yeah. yeah, she she played Snow White's mom. You can't go wrong with that. No, not at all. Uh, is that was that one of the first things that she had done? It's gotta be right up there. She was a model. She was she was a model though. She was a pretty successful model at that time, right? I think so. It's got to be relatively early on, though, I think. I think it was relatively early on. She was, she was cute. I remember talking to her briefly. Yeah, because her, her first credit was like three years earlier. Yeah, there, there's just some really beautiful people in there. Carolyn Thompson, who 
wrote it and directed it had we had like a, a connection from high school huh. I didn't know her in high school but she was she went to she either she went to college with people I was in high school with or she went to the high school uh, that was associated with my high school I went to a boys called St. Albans and she might have gone to National Cathedral School but she had been a, she had been writing a bit um, I think she did I want to say Edward Scissorhands or something like that. She did, yeah. Yeah, and um, so this was her first or her second directorial thing. You know, this the character that I played was a complete fabrication. <laughs> the granter of wishes. Yeah. <laughs> Look at yourself. Passed away in 2005, so it was relatively 
relatively near the end. Yeah, yeah, he's he was such a classy dude. I really enjoyed it so much. I'd done a, another picture with him called "Waiting for the Light." Oh yeah, I'd gotten gotten to be friends with him, and we would have lunch sometimes. And at uh, we loved to go to Musso and Frank's so, <laughs> <laughs> and be and be Doctor Scavelli or whatever he was. He was, <laughs> he was a classy dude. Good stories. I remember going out to dinner one night with Miranda and Carolyn and um, a dude, crazy talented dude, director, uh, actor. I think he was in the the, the Good Wife, uh, Scottish guy. Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming. Yes. Yeah, Alan Cumming was up there. And he had, he had directed something or that he was friends with uh, Miranda, and so. They all got together, and uh, we were all going to dinner, and Alan uh, brought out a special cigarette, and <laughs> and I was, uh, I, after I, I, I had partaken in that special cigarette, I was completely incoherent for the rest of the night. I think I'm just my <laughs> drooling. Of course, they were being very clever in English and on top of it the whole time, and Again, out of my depth. <laughs> uh, and Tom Irwin, right? Wasn't yeah, Tom absolutely. Irwin in that? Yeah, he was in yeah, yeah, yeah. He's another Steppenwolf guy. So, you know, I had, I, you know, I was like way out. Of, whenever the Steppenwolf people show up, I'm completely, I'm, I, I know I'm out of my depth. I should just, <laughs> I should just get a miscast. And let's see, it looks like the last one on the list here. Your, last your, your agony is almost over. Uh, is Dogs Hamlet <laughs> Cahoots Macbeth. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What do we what do we call him now? Uh, it was Joey Zimmerman who I knew from Earth Two, but he doesn't want to be called Joey anymore because that's what he was when he was a kid. So it's J J something Zimmerman. Dogs Hammer and Cahoots Well, it's a Tom Sopper play, right? Right. Exactly. And and I love Tom Sopper. I didn't have time to actually do it. And so I, I don't know how, I don't know how Joe got the rights to it or anything. Uh, it's a crazy play. I don't know if anybody's ever read it. It must have been an early stopper play. And usually the people that do stopper plays are the English actors and directors, and they do a great job. Yeah. I don't know how Joe got the got the rights to it, but he did, and he did it, and he was presumptuous enough to actually adapt it. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I, you know, it's like adapting Shakespeare. I don't know how you do it. It's, but he did it, and uh, so he he allowed me just to, like, blow in. As I said, I would do anything to help him, and I, and I, I to this day, I would. I, I like Joe so much. But I... I I, I remember I didn't have time, and so he he made it very quick for me. <laughs> and I think I had this this big long pseudo Shakespeare monologue where I just basically said all of the all of the famous lines from Shakespeare strung together. <laughs> Not very well, but um, uh, that was the kind of the whole point. I think at that point, uh, and I don't think I've ever seen. It. I have only seen uh, clips of it that are online.
For this relief, much thanks. Though I am native here and to the manor born, it is a custom more honored in the breach than the observance. Well, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. To be or not to be, that is the question. There are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in your philosophy. There's a divinity that shapes our ends, rough hew them how we will. Though this be madness, yet there is method in it. I must be cruel only to be kind. Hold, as it were, a mirror up to nature, a countenance more in sorrow than in anger. <laughs> the lady doth protest too much. Cat will mew, but dog will have his day. For what it's worth, that apparently the original play was on Broadway for a grand total of 26 performances and two previews. Yeah, no, it's a crazy, it's a crazy, silly play. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I think, I think it's early stopper because it takes place in a, in a public school, you know, an English public school or something. And it might even be a play about a play. I'm not, uh, I don't really recall that much, but. Uh, it was it was fun to do. You know, it's always fun to help out your friends when you can. I think that's the lesson to be learned from some of the films, anyway. Is just helping out friends is, you know. Is it yeah, fun? you always want to have friends. You know, you always want. To, I mean, in the end, you you want to work with friends. I mean, you look at uh, you look at those you know all those guys that did um, the oceans films, right? Yeah. They all look like they're good pals. I mean, it just it, it's just it's just an easy rapport when you when you're able to work with your friends. So. You know, where they would all jump at the chance to work together again, too. I just don't have any friends. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't have any movies. <laughs> There's still time. My friend, my <laughs> friends drive Uber. <laughs> well, I'm a freelance writer. You can imagine how many friends I've got like that. Yeah. Well, I think that is it. Uh, I guess uh, I'll ask offhandedly: Is do you have a favorite obscurity that you've been in that I didn't bring up? Oh, yeah. Um, I know. Tough question to put you on the spot with. Yeah, I, I don't know. You you did a, you did a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, you know, I like them all for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, I also find them all somewhat humiliating and <laughs> for different reasons <laughs> as well. But uh, but you know that's my job as I try to explain to my dad at some point. <laughs> Um, and it's my job is to humiliate myself. Um, I don't know. You know, I really like doing Earth 2, and I really like doing Breaking News. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love doing those shows. I think that's, to bring it back to emergence, there's a great fun and comfort and potential in doing, in doing ensemble series television stuff you know billions was a lot of fun even though i wasn't a major part of that for that reason because you, you know you just get to you just get to massage a character and take it through a bunch of scenes and situations and and have it grow in a fun way i'll tell you one um i'll tell you one good story though okay uh about him she didn't mention okay called the express Football? Yeah, the Express. Movie, I know, but yeah, yeah, also a true story, okay. uh, based upon Ernie Davis. So Ernie Davis 
was the first black Heisman Trophy winner. Okay. Um, he came after Jim Brown, and he was drafted by the Browns, and then he got diagnosed with leukemia, and uh, and then later died. Um, but uh, at, at around that same time, I, my older sister was diagnosed with leukemia, and so there was. I always felt the connection to that Ernie Davis story. Yeah. And and so I said, you know, I, I got to do this movie. I just have to do it. Yeah. And you know, I don't care. I don't care who's in. I don't care if it's any good. I don't care if I make any money. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I want to do this movie. So I ended up doing the movie, but at the same time, uh, and it was shooting in Chicago, at the same time they were doing um, the Batman movie. That uh, Was that the one with uh, uh, the with Joker? Um, Heath Ledger? That the one, wh wh which one? Oh, uh, Batman? Dark Knight, I guess. Dark Knight. So it was Nolan's first stab at it. That was no one's first go around with Batman, right? Uh, actually, 2008. That would have been the, the second one. That was the second one. Yeah. Okay. So Nolan had asked for me to be in that movie. I I, I don't know what part exactly might have been like. It wasn't what wasn't a big thing. But when you're Chris Nolan, you get the actors that you want. But apparently, you wanted me to be in it. Okay. And I said, no, I got, you know, I'll happily be in it, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing the express. Yeah. I want, I've got to do the express. And my agents were just, they were so mad at me. <laughs> they were just like, <laughs> no, don't, don't do the express. Do the Batman thing with Christopher Nolan. Oh, you don't need to do the express. I said, no, no, I need to do the express. I'll happily do the Batman thing, plus we're shooting in the same town, so why can't we just kind of, you know, work the thing out? That's a big old crazy movie that's, you know, it's, I'm going to be sitting on my ass more than more than doing anything. Can't we just, like, work it out? And they said, no, no, they want to buy it for the whole thing. You can't do it. So I ended up not doing the Batman movie, sticking with my guns, saying I got to do this. I have to do this story because this story is, it means something personally to me. And, of course, Express does no business. <laughs> <laughs> Although I make some good friends, I make some good friends in it, like Dennis and Omar and stuff, and you know that's good. Uh, and, and Nicole Bahari, I end up working with her again. You know, there's some good stuff, and I like Rob and yeah, you know, I mean Nelson and those guys. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, you know, Chelsea, Danny McCarthy, all these guys. I mean, making friends, but it does no business. And. Uh, Dark Knight just completely blows up. It's you know sets records right and left. And um, I remember when it got released on DVD, it broke all kinds of records. <laughs> and my manager calls me up and he goes, "Yeah, I want just calling to see uh, how the Express DVDs have been selling." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you would have made both of those salaries in just your DVD residual check. <laughs> Give me a break, but uh, you know, and I and I think Chris Nolan's obviously a genius, and I would have loved to work with him, but I couldn't couldn't get over my own personal position about that. Which is so I did the Express instead of doing the Dark Knight. That's that. That's the story from that. I still feel like you made the right decision for yourself. So I don't know if I did or not. You know, maybe <laughs> I did. Maybe. 
maybe I'd, maybe I'd have my house paid off by now. Who knows? But uh, sorry I missed that one, but that's the way it goes. Sometimes you got to make the choices. And someday you'll, God willing, be reunited with your sister, who will immediately greet you by saying, I cannot believe you did not do the dark night. I cannot believe you blew off the dark what, night. What were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? All right, well, thank you so much, Clancy, for uh, being agreeable to my ridiculously premised podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck with it. <laughs> thank uh, you very much. And, uh, of course, I've uh, got uh, the new series premiering the uh, 24th. Uh, 24th, 24th, ABC, 10 Eastern, 9 Central, your ABC station. Starring the beautiful and talented Allison Coleman and Donald Faison and Alexis Swinton, all sorts of just wonderful people. And it is called Emergence. Emergence, a thriller, a thriller, family thriller, sci-fi comedy hybrid. What else? Then? What else could it possibly be? <laughs> I feel like not all those words are on your talking points, but that'll work. Yeah, no, no. It's, it, 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 it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's hard to it's hard to nail down. It's like uh, it's like it's like imagine trying to describe um, what you call it. What was that? What was that thing that was on uh, Netflix that blew up? Uh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Imagine trying to describe Stranger Things before anybody had seen it. You just you don't know how to describe it. Or Buckaroo Banzai for that yeah. matter. <laughs> right, yeah. I love stuff like that. I love stuff that's just sort of, it's sort of everything all at once. Yeah. So everybody should watch it. Excellent. Well, good luck with it. Godspeed. And <laughs> thanks, right. thanks so much, Clancy. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks right. for thinking of me. Absolutely. You've been listening to Obscurity Knox, the irregularly released podcast that focuses on stories about projects that you don't think you care anything about until you hear the stories, at which point you're like, I, I actually do care about that. Thanks. You're welcome. And don't forget, Obscurity Docs is now on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com backslash Obscurity It's just that simple.